<laughs> oh, I will tell you, I've had to go through TSA with them. And they're like, you need to take that off. I'm like, I don't think you understand. It's attached to me. And they're like, just unattach it. I was like, I mean, are you kidding? It is piped into me. Like I'm in TSA. I had to lift up my shirt and be like, hello. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and then they didn't want to let the food go through because the food is more than three ounces. Oh, no. And I was doing a long trip. And so I needed two containers of food. They're like, no. Today's guest is a former corporate America C-suite marketing executive who, whilst in hospital battling nine chronic illnesses, founded her digital marketing company, Decap Digital, building it into the empire that it is today. A published author and business coach for women entrepreneurs and executives, she's coached over 6,500 clients across five continents and co-founded the Chicago chapter of the International Association of Coaching. Her expertise in personal branding and leadership has been featured predominantly on many prestigious publications and I was very pleased to have the opportunity to chat with her. I don't think I have barely laughed my way quite so much through an interview in a really long time. Episode 46, Adriana Cowden. Welcome to One Moment Please the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success and you take a moment to tune in to bring on the inspiration. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate it considering you're drinking coffee at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. Well, it is, of course, the first pumpkin spice coffee of the season. So I was excited to try it. Pumpkin spice? No. I know. (laughs) It's just butchering coffee. (laughs) Yes. And oat milk. So I really have butchered this coffee. Yeah. Well, that's okay. We'll we'll forgive you on all counts. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you've got your own um, business, Decaf Digital, which is social media, um, and you do coaching as well for women on the side. Is it on the side yes. or is that one of your main pillars of your business? Um, I kind of do it on the side. Yeah. So you do social media marketing um, mm-hmm. and digital online branding as well. How did how did this all come about? Because you were in the corporate world before that. Yeah, I was a um, chief digital marketing officer for a major billion-dollar home services company. And then prior to that, I was a vice president of social and mobile marketing for uh, a $40 billion retailer. Right. And then I have a long history before that. You don't just start your career as a VP. But um, certainly had a background in social media and digital marketing. And in 2015, um, I was diagnosed with chronic pancreatitis. And um, I was only at my role for about six or eight months when that happened. Um, So I ended up spending copious amounts of time in the hospital. Um, Chronic pancreatitis is a very painful disease. Thank you. I was going to ask you what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's very painful. Um, Your your pancreas is basically not functioning properly and your pancreas produces digestive enzymes so you can eat as well as islet cells. So you have blood sugar management. It manages your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I was spending weeks on end in the hospital on IV fluids, nothing by mouth. I was down to like 83 pounds. I was in really bad shape. 
Um, and in the meantime, on the few days that I was not hospitalized, I was back at the office running around like an executive um, going. The other primary symptom of pancreatitis is extreme nausea and vomiting. So I'd be at the office, vomit eight, 10 times a day wow. between meetings. I couldn't keep any fluids in. And after doing this cycle for about six months, um, I just came to the realization that it was not going to work. And my thing originally was, this has to work. I mean, my pancreas is broken, but my brain still works. There's nothing yeah. wrong with me. Yeah. Uh, but my body had other plans. So okay. um, in May of 2015, I opened Decaf Digital. And originally, we served all digital marketing, search engine optimization, paid ads, websites, and then over the years have really focused our niche on social media, um, whether it's paid, organic, or even social media campaigns, lead funnels. We do all of those. So when, you've, when you're working and you were diagnosed with this pancreatitis, what are the s- symptoms apart from the nausea and the vomiting? What, how did you s- discover that you had this illness? Yeah, the first thing that happened was I took a sip of my favorite coffee and um, fell to the ground, balled, balled up in a, you know, curled up into a ball from excruciating pain. And it feels like hot stabbing pain would be the one way to describe it. And most people know that pain scale of one to 10. This was like an 11. I mean, I have a plethora of other diseases. I'm used to abdominal pain. I didn't have an appendix. So uh, I knew something was wrong. So my assistant called my then boyfriend, now husband, he came and got me and took me to the hospital and called my doctor on the way who met us there. Um, and you find out you have it because there are some levels called lipase and amylase, which are two parts of your pancreas that are elevated in your blood. Now, normal nut level is like 15 to 70 of lipase. Mine was over 4,000. Wow. Yeah. So I was in, um, the other thing is pancreatitis is fatal. So a lot of people will die after one acute attack. It just shuts down all of your organs. So as soon as they figured that out, they put me in the hospital. Um, But the primary things are the pain, and it's just excruciating, and the nausea and vomiting. And what that does is leads to other issues. So for example, like I mentioned, I was down to 83 pounds. I was never big, but I was losing weight at a rapid pace. Mm. At one point, I was hospitalized for failure to thrive. Literally, they just thought I was going to waste away and die. So um, 83, 83 pounds is about, so about 45 kilos or something? Oh, no, it's much lighter than that. I'm so going to Google this now. I am Googling it too. <laughs> Google right, 37 kilos. There you go. I was like, oh, yeah. no, I know it's lighter wow. than that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just the weight of your skeleton, really. Yeah, that's all, it's just skeletal. You're, wow. you're just, yeah. And even I've now had seven feeding tubes. Um, over time, what would happen is I'd get on a feeding tube and it takes about, oh, five to 10 days to get adjusted to it. Usually the first five days you're in the hospital. And then over time, they do what's called turning up your rate. It's a little machine that pumps the food or internal nutrition into you. It's not food. It's like a bag of liquid. Mm-hmm. Um and they turn that rate up over time. So you get more and more calories. So I would, I would gain enough weight and go up to 93 pounds. We'd take me off the feeding tube. It, it would take me three, four, five months to get to 93 pounds. We'd take me off the feeding tube and literally two weeks later, I'd be back down. 
Wow. What was the I sensation like having that feeding in. tube in? Was that, was that, could you feel it down your... Yeah, it's very weird. It goes, um, I've had every kind that they provide. So one is an NG, which goes up your nose and through the back of your throat. Nasal gastric, That yeah. is the worst. Yeah, that's what I was envisaging when you were... Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. I mean, when you're awake, you're trying to rip it out. When you're asleep, you're trying to rip it oh, out. Oh my goodness. Um, and so that's terrible. I, I do not... Uh, do you not have to be gagging the whole that. time, surely. You are, oh. yes. You always feel like you have to throw something out because there's something that's stuck in the back of your yeah. throat. Yeah, oh, awful. Yeah, and then I had um, TPN, which is total perinatal nutrition. That goes through what's called a pick line, yeah. which is two needles in the top of your arm that go right into your heart. Um, so they don't like to do that because you can get very easily infected in your heart. Yeah. And the longest they'll do TPN is typically a week to 30 days max. How long were you And then um, the other feeding tubes are called GJ and then just J. Um, They're like, I, I still have what we call, I lovingly refer to as bullet holes because they create a hole in your abdomen where the tube goes in. The GJ goes, the G goes into your stomach to remove air and the J goes into your small intestine to feed you. Um, so you have you have to kind of suck air out of it with this big needle and then you, the food pushes through through the the pipe so there's literally a pipe going into a hole in your body or a stoma and then there's this little machine called a kangaroo joey that that rotates all of the food through and does that you know feeding rate um and you wear that that attaches to an iv pole when you're home and then to go out there's a customized backpack you wear but it's, it's not like you can walk around and think no one notices it. I mean, one, you always have a backpack on. <laughs> and two, there's a tube going from your stomach to the backpack. <laughs> so it's very visible. Not TSA approved. <laughs> oh, I will tell you, I've had to go through TSA with them. And they're like, you need to take that off. I'm like, I don't think you understand. It's attached to me. And they're like, just unattach it. I was like, I mean, are you kidding? It is piped into me. Like I'm in TSA. I had to lift up my shirt and be like, hello. It was ridiculous. And then they didn't want to let the food go through because the food is more than three ounces. Oh no. And I was doing a long trip. And so I needed two containers of food. They're like, no. I'm like, I have a note from my doctor. This is medical food. I'm not sneaking a Subway sandwich on the plane. It's like... This is medical food. I need this or I will die. Do you mind? Did you get it? Th- you obviously got it through though. I did get it through. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So you said to me earlier that you have nine chronic illnesses. So pancreatitis is the one. Was the yeah. weight thriving to failure to thrive? Was that one of them? Nope, it's not. Oh. It's, um, so I have chronic pancreatitis disease. Um, mm-hmm. I've had my pancreas removed. So I'm a type 3C insulin dependent diabetic, mm-hmm. which almost no one's ever heard of. I have osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. I have Addison's disease, which is a disease of the adrenal glands. Mm. I have celiac. So hard, eating is already hard because I can't have gluten. You're having oat milk. Um, yeah, oat milk is okay. Um, this brand of oat milk is okay. You have to be very, very careful. Some oat milks are not gluten-free oats and some are. So I highly encourage anyone who has celiac never to order oat milk unless they've got verification it's gluten It's very interesting because I'm um, a gluten intolerant and in Australia, oats aren't classified as gluten-free. 
But in America, I believe that they are. There's different types of oats. Yeah. There. Some are gluten-free and some are not. Okay. And then I have, um, so celiac hypothyroid. Yeah. Hypopituitary, um, which affects my whole endocrine system. Is that caused by a cyst, the pituitary? You know, you would think so. It functions like, my pituitary functions like I have a tumor on it, but I actually don't. Right. It just is wonky, I guess. I like okay. to think I'm special. You are. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have mild liver disease. Right. So how did they find out about, did you know about the other eight before you realized that you had the pancreatitis? Um, oh, I also have gastroparesis. I keep forgetting that one. I have nine. Um, <laughs> What's the gastro- <laughs> a lot to manage. What is gastroparesis? <laughs> um, so I knew about Addison's hypothyroid, hypopituitary, gastroparesis, those four before I was diagnosed with pancreatic disease. Right. Um, and, the, and the first time I actually went in the hospital for pancreatic disease, they thought my gallbladder was also bad. Yeah. So I've also had my gallbladder removed. Right. Um, so that just means you can't eat any fatty foods. It just goes right through you. Um, but I had those four diseases before chronic pancreatitis. And then through the journey of being treated for pancreatitis, a couple of things happened. One, I've been on steroids for Addison's disease for almost 20 years now. And so chronic use of steroids causes osteoporosis. So the treatment for the Addison's disease caused the osteoporosis. The, what is Addison's? Addison's is a disease of the adrenal gland. So your adrenal glands, like when someone gets stressed out, their adrenal glands kick in and start producing yeah. cortisol. Yeah. Mine don't. I literally joke that I'm like, you cannot stress me out. I have no ability to manage stress. Wow. So, <laughs> so are you constantly stressed or are you just chilled the whole time? I'm usually chill because I oh. know that if my body gets into a stressed state, physically or mentally, I literally can't respond to it. So for example, if I get the flu or bronchitis, I have to take double amounts of steroids because my body isn't kicking off what it needs to, to fight that. Wow. Um, yeah, this whole COVID thing has been very scary for someone with my health circumstances. Yeah. So those are the, so I knew I had those diseases. So that one, Addison's led to the osteoporosis. Celiac, they found while I was in the hospital for pancreatitis, they tested. I had known I was gluten sensitive, but I didn't know it was celiac until then. And I then, can't, um, um, mine always come back as a false negative because I've been off gluten for so long because I knew I had the issue before mm-hmm. it became like a huge fad thing because yeah. I didn't eliminate, I did an elimination diet because I was so sick all the time. And then the doctor, like five years after I've been off gluten is like, let's test you. And I'm like, well, I'm not eating any gluten. So, so they don't know right. if I'm celiac or if I'm gluten intolerant, but I think I'm just really intolerant, not celiac. Yeah. Either way, you, you do the same thing. You avoid gluten. Yeah. <laughs> <Whether> <laughs> but I think it's different degrees. Of, I think there's different degrees of it because proper celiacs yeah. can't even like have a utensil that's touched gluten, whereas I'm yeah, not that bad. Yeah, it's very bad. Yeah. Your biggest nerve, my biggest concern is always cross-contamination. Yeah. Like, you know, my husband can't be cooking spaghetti and then use the spoon and put it in yeah. my soup or something. Yeah, see, I'm not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I have like gluten-free shampoo and conditioner and there's gluten-free shampoo. Yes. You're not eating it. Why do you have to have gluten-free shampoo? Isn't that weird? It can get in through your pores and cause a reaction. I never knew this. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
She's just uh, running the gauntlet, having goat um, oats milk and hoping that it's gluten-free. Well, I know this one is gluten-free. <laughs> this is a particular brand that I know I have worked with before and I know is gluten-free. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I don't just order oat milk out. I order almond milk because <laughs> that one I know. <laughs> I'm not one to just kind of take my chances. <laughs> I don't live on the edge. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm like lifted a bit dangerously today. Let's just try a new brand of oat milk. Hmm, let's see if these French fries are gluten free or if they're gonna make me sick for four days. <laughs> nah, <laughs> I have enough issues. <laughs> okay, so you're in the hospital and they figure out that you have celiac as well. Yeah, they figured out I had celiac, and then um, over time, I had. Um, I had a, uh, on December 15th of 2016, I had a, um, surgery called the Whipple. Um, I had been hospitalized in November just before Thanksgiving. And th- at that point they told me it was life or death. I had to have this surgery. Um, I encourage anyone who's listening to look up the Whipple surgery. It is scarier than scary. I mean, even neurosurgeons are like, Ooh, we don't, we don't touch anyone that's had a Whipple. <laughs> um, they remove most of your pancreas, in my case, over half my stomach, my small intestine, my bile duct, and then, of course, I didn't have my gallbladder anymore, so that was already out. So you had this Whipple basically gave you a gastric sleeve and mm, yeah. took out half your pancreas. Yeah, and then no small intestine, so going to the bathroom is no fun either. Wow, no it's, small intestine. Really so you would then have nutrients absorption, absorption issues as well. I do. I do. I take four pills every time I eat just to absorb them Four digestive enzymes. Wow. Um, so it's really challenging. So do you just rock up with a doctor with a massive folder full of your medical history whenever you see a new doctor? This is funny. I have had the same primary care doctor uh, for the last six years and she coordinates all my care with my specialist. Oh, that's good. But I saw a new specialist. I think it was in in March or April. And he asked it, he recommended a drug for me. And I was like, I'm highly allergic to that drug. It caused seizures for six months. Oh my goodness. Oh, I didn't know that. So when I talked to my primary care doctor, I was like, I don't like him. He doesn't even know what I'm allergic to. Did he even read my file? And she goes, I mean, cut him some slack. Your file is 1600 pages long. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, he might've missed one or two things. It is a few binders full. <laughs> Thank goodness for electronic medical records. You just turn up with a wheelbarrow. Here you go. Here's my yeah. medical file. Here's my file. <laughs> so it is really complex. Um, and so I had the Whipple. Uh, it took about 18 months to recover. The first six months I had 24-hour care. My aunt, who lives in Argentina, which is where my family is from, uh, moved in with us here in the U.S., and took care of me all day long. And then my husband would come home from work and take care of me all night long. Wow. Um, so it's one of those, it takes a village. Well, how does, and how I was that, wheelchair bound. It, how was it emotionally for you? Because you struck me as a very independent woman. Yeah. And such a good question. Um, my primary doctor actually um, diagnosed me with PTSD because I went to her after about, I, I want to say six or eight months after I had had the Whipple. And I was yeah. like, I'm just having a hard time finding my motivation. I don't know why this isn't taking me and I'm still so sick. And she's like, Oh, you absolutely have PTSD. 
and um, yeah. put me on some medication. And I was like, I, you know, I thought that was for veterans. I mean, I was like, are you sure this is what I have? She's like, yeah, you've been through a really traumatic surgery, a traumatic experience with this new disease. It is absolutely what you have and we need to address it. Wow. How long was your aunt with you? Six months. Okay. Six months full time <clears throat> living with us. And when she left, we hired someone to be here during the day from 830 to 430 every day. Mm -hmm. So I would like work for an hour, sleep for an hour, work for an hour, sleep for an hour. And then, you know, you have this, I take about 30 pills every morning. So it takes a little bit for my body to get up and going and started. And, um, but I also have a therapist I work with and she's fantastic. I see her once every two weeks. Um, just for checks and balances, you know, just how are things going? How's your body working? How are you doing mentally? Because the mental health is something that I know I really struggled with. And I know a lot of people, especially in the pancreas community struggle with, um, it's basically like food has turned into an enemy on your body. And so when you're supposed to do the one thing that you're surrounded by all the time, which is food and you can't eat without pain and vomiting, you just feel very lost. Hmm. I can, yeah, the one thing that's meant to help keep you alive is now the enemy. It's, it's, yes. Yeah. It'd be a very confronting place to, to be in. How did you yeah. keep the motivation though? To, I mean, you had December, 2016, you had the Whipple, you started mm -hmm. the business in May, 2015. So that's 18 months. It's up and running. How were you keeping the motivation to keep going? I mean, if you're sleeping for now and working for now, why, why didn't you just say this is all too hard? Yeah. Well, I will tell you it was against medical advice that I keep working and against my family's advice. But um, <laughs> thankfully, my husband knows my stubborn personality and was like, if this is what you want, you do it. Um, but for me, I needed that motivation to get out of bed every day. Yeah, I needed something to look forward to. I mean, I looked forward to spending time with my family and, and my husband and my little guy, but uh, who's a dog, by the way. Um, That's but, okay. I've got two fur babies myself. It's fine. I, just, yeah. I understand it. But for me, I really, I had, I had chosen career as my path in life and was like an 80 to 90 hour workaholic every week. And so I needed something to hold on to that. I was still using my brain in a, in a complex constructive way. And so um, ironically work was not something to, try and put by the back burner. It was something that I had front of mind all the time. Hmm. Um, and I will tell you the biggest challenge was actually not the motivation to do it. It was the capability of doing it because I was on so many narcotics. Your brain fog would, would have just, been crazy. The brain fog was really bad. I mean, I have texts and emails I sent during that time that I think, <laughs> oh my gosh, I must have really been high on drugs. <laughs> You know, like just strands of random letters. And I was actually one of these times I was in the hospital. Uh, my husband and I have an American Express card and it alerts him. He gets like a text every time a purchase is made. So in all of these years in the hospitals in the last few years, he has spent every day and night with me in the hospital, working from the hospital. And then every like maybe three or four days, he'll go home and shower because the hospital showers aren't that great. And he'll come back. So he thought, oh, she's sleeping. I'm going to go home and shower. <laughs> he gets out of the shower and the thing is like, ding, 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 <laughs> all these charges. And he's like, oh no, she's awake. 
So he hurries up, gets back to the hospital, and there I am totally asleep, totally comatose asleep. And he wakes me up and he's like, honey, were you awake? And I was like, I don't think so. And he's like, well, you went shopping. <laughs> you sleep like, shopped? I, I did. <laughs> I was high as a kite shopping. I even bought a new dining room chandelier. Uh- <laughs> I mean, we had no idea what I bought because I didn't know where, what like computer or tablet I was on. So I didn't know what to look for. For months, boxes were showing up. Oh my goodness. Were you happy was- with the purchases that you, whilst you were high as yes. a kite? Yeah. It- I did. I was very happy. I had all, I was in a gifting mood because I think I bought one thing for me and everything was for everybody else. <laughs> so birthdays yes. and Christmas is your set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I bought the dining room chandelier, he was like, okay, that's enough. We're taking the iPad away. No more, no, no more iPad or iPhone unless you're being supervised. I love the fact that the text alerts aren't for security for theft of credit card. It's to keep an eye on you and what your spending habits are. <laughs> I know it's a trip. <laughs> How long had you been with your partner for well, your now husband, but your then partner for before this whole extended hospital stay? Yeah. So Eric and I met in February of 2015 and I started being hospitalized in October of 2015. So only a handful of months. Yeah. That's fairly, um, that's still a fairly new relationship to very new. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like movies and, and, music and restaurants we were like laughing over youtube videos in the hospital and trying to figure out what pancreatitis does (laughs) very interesting courtship there (laughs) yeah right i mean i'm surprised i kept him but he's just a gem he uh i think i mentioned he i was recovering from the whipple still in august of 2017 it took about 18 months to recover i was gonna say that's a long recovery yeah yeah. About 18 months. And I'm talking like massive recovery, like nurses coming in the house, wound vax, drains. I mean, it was uh, IV antibiotics at home. Yeah. Um, wound vax for and... anyone listening is a vacuum dressing on a wound. Oh, yes. Thank you. I'm sorry. That's fine. I'll, tra- I'll translate. Um, <laughs> and so in uh, my birthday is in August. And so he said, I want to take you away for your birthday. And I was like, oh, man, you know, as long as it's somewhere close, because I don't want to put the wheelchair through the airport and all this kind of malarkey. And I was, I couldn't even stand up. I was in so much pain all the time. And he surprised me with a trip to New York. And so no big deal. He like just wraps up the wheelchair, puts me and my suitcase together, gets me to the airport. Is this when you had to go through the TSA with the feeding tube? Yes. This is when I had to go through TSA (laughs) with the feeding tube. Yes. And they were like, sorry. And he's thinking, what is going on? They actually asked me if I was traveling with an adult. <laughs> Are you traveling with an adult today, ma'am? Oh, because like, you were so I mean, tiny with the weight loss. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I mean, I'm 40. And he's like, I don't need to know your age, just if you have an adult. <laughs> Do you hear yourself? <laughs> Maybe he thought that you were um, unable to uh, look after yourself and therefore he was like, Do you have like a minder with you that was yeah. maybe <laughs> It's not a fit mind. She's traveling with tubes coming out of her. <laughs> right. Well, normally Eric would be right there with me, but because I was in my wheelchair, I had to go through a separate section oh. of security and he went through TSA pre-check. So he's waiting for me at the end while I'm being, you know, harassed about medical food and traveling with an adult. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, I am an adult, but yes, I've got one with me too. <laughs> I promise I so, am. I am legal. 
Yeah, I yeah. promise I'm okay to fly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we get to New York and um, he had booked like a harbor cruise for us. And um, he knew I didn't ever want to go to Central Park with someone unless it was someone I was going to be with forever. Um. And I'm we're both divorced. And so I had told him that I'm fine with a 44-year lease on each other and an option to renew at year 45, but I don't ever want to get married again. And that's so really cute. I had, to- I had told him that since the time we met. I was like, I'm just, I don't want to get married again. Was it no, that traumatic? You. The divorce was that traumatic for you? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and I had been divorced for about 12 years. So wow. I was very, to your point, I was very independent, very used to being on my own. But you must have been very young when you got married the first time. I was, yes. Yeah. I'm in my late 40s now. I was like 21 when I got married. I was wow. a child. How long infant. were you married for? Five years. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, so we go to Central Park and he's wheeling me around in my chair and uh, he's like, do you want to stop and get out for sit on the ground for a little bit? And I used to have a cushion on my wheelchair because I had no butt. So I needed something for cushion. Was it a donut or was it like a cushion? Cushion? No, it's literally a wheelchair cushion. It's about okay. an inch and a half thick. Okay. It's actually very comfortable. Okay. Um, and then I always had a blanket on top of it because it's like a plastic thing. It's not, you know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. And so we pulled the blanket out and laid down and um, he was rubbing my back. And I said, why don't I give you a shoulder rub? I'm, I've just been sitting in a wheelchair all day. <laughs> and he's like, well, I was wondering, I think I'd like to buy out my option on my lease with you. Aww. Will you marry me? And I turned around and he had the ring and he said he was so nervous because I had made such a big deal about not getting remarried that he was like, I mean, I was really wasn't, wasn't sure if you were going to say yes or no. <laughs> did you have so any hesitation? Yes. You did say, okay, I know you're married now, I but I didn't yes. know whether or not you took a bit of warming up to, to come around. No, to the idea I of said yes. And um, he had already planned a celebratory event afterwards. Oh, so he so, was pretty pretty sure that you were going to say yes then. I mean, I think he knew he had me. Oh, but he got tickets he, on himself, sure he? would have. <laughs> he did it on my birthday weekend, so I'm sure he would have played it off as like a birthday celebration <laughs> if it had gone wrong. He's a pretty smart guy. Smart I'm man, sure he yeah. had yeah, plan B up his sleeve. <laughs> what an amazing person. He has been there with me through this whole journey. He, you know, never argues with me when I want to work from bed on my laptop because I got to get work done. He supports everything I do. He has stayed in the hospital weeks on end with me and drives me all over the country to these specialists. And, and then to propose while I'm wheelchair bound with a feeding tube, I was like, he is really something. Yeah. How did you guys meet? Match.com. Oh. Yes, we're an online love story. That's cute. So 21st century. It is very 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> Should write a movie, do a movie about that. That sounds like a lovely I think they script. did. It's called You've Got Mail. <laughs> Remember that? No, I read mean about me. You know, you were unwell. Someone's unwell oh. and in the hospital. <laughs> I was thinking the overall picture, not just an email. <laughs> Whatever happened to Meg Ryan anyway? She disappeared. I don't know, right? Yeah. She just kind of disappeared. I know. Vanished. Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> we digress, Meg Ryan. I'm sorry. That's okay. This is what this is what the chats are all about. So he proposed to you in Central Park and yeah. 
had this prepared um, celebra- celebration afterwards. How long after that did you get married? Because were you still wheelchair bound when you were ready to wheel yourself down the aisle? Yeah. So I um, ended up doing physical therapy. And if if this gives you any semblance of how bad a shape I was in, my physical therapy for the first month was walking one minute on a treadmill. Like all I could do was one minute. And then like over time, I worked up to like three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes. Um, I think seven is as high as I got for a while. <laughs> but I That's was a pretty decent workout ecstatic. in my book. <laughs> yes, I was pretty ecstatic with a seven minute walk. <laughs> I was like, yes, I can run a marathon. <laughs> I was pretty darn happy. Um, so we actually had planned to get married in October of that year. So we were going to have a very short engagement. And um, we're, we're from Indianapolis. Well, we live in Indianapolis. We're both from different places. But he's been here 20 years and I've been here almost seven. And wanted to get married in Mexico. And my mom was like, I'm not going to Mexico. So we had like gotten a wedding dress and he is... Uh, Eric has a daughter. We had gotten her address for the trip and everything and planned this out. And then my mom kind of put the kibosh on everything. Really? So instead of October of 2017, we got married in October of 2018 here in Indianapolis. What is your, so your, if you got married in Indianapolis, does that mean that you were your mom's, you mentioned that your aunt was in Argentina. So is your mom in the States? Yeah. So my okay. mom is um, German. My dad is Argentine. And so my whole side of my dad's family, except my dad, live in Argentina still. Um, my dad lives in Florida. And then my mom is from the Chicagoland area. She's one of seven girls, and they're kind of all over the U.S. But I was raised in the Chicagoland area. Okay. So mom put the kibosh on it. Yeah. Mom, it's your day, like, not mom's day. Right? Yeah, and you have to wait you. another year. Yeah. I was so, but the reason we postponed it was not just her, but I was so um, unable to deal with additional issues at that point. Like I had enough going on with my health and work and a new engagement and planning a wedding that I just couldn't handle like all of the, all of what was going on with her too. (laughs) So I was like, so Eric is who said, let's just postpone this for a year. Yeah. I'm surprised you just didn't end up in Vegas. We almost did. <laughs> With Elvis. Yeah, we yeah. almost did. But, um, you know, Eric, we really wanted Eric's daughter there. Mm. So we thought we'll do something. We did, It was very small. I think there's only 35 or 40 people at our wedding. We kept it really small, um, just intimate friends and mostly family. Mm. Vegas is a, is a sound like a good option. At one point, my husband and I were considering doing Vegas. Um, yeah. just flying over and having a massive holiday and then and then getting married in Vegas. And uh, mum and dad were sort of like, um, oh, well, maybe we'll just happen to be over there. And I was like, oh. his, his dad's <laughs> not well enough to fly that length of time. And I was like, I can't have my family there and then his family not be there. That's unfair and it defeats yeah. the purpose of going over there and eloping. So I was like, oh. yeah. so we ended up doing the, the shindig, you know, thing. So I get the I get the draw card of Vegas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. It, it definitely has a strong draw, and and we had ironically we had been to Vegas on vacation I think the year before that, and just really enjoyed the resort we stayed at. And so 
we were really like, you know, like when for she first went to go to Mexico, we were like, well, do they? <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go over well either. <laughs> she's very traditional. <laughs> well, it sounds like she really put this, a foot down about it. <laughs> she did. She did. At one point I was like, well, then don't come. But I mean, who wants to get married without their parents? <laughs> She I called you bluff on that one. one. She totally called yeah, you bluff on that one. <laughs> she totally did. <laughs> so how did you go from having this um, on the side business? And I'm, I'm assuming it was on the side because if you're this sick, you probably can't grow it to the degree of what you wanted to, although you sound so determined yeah. and with your experience, you probably had it as a 300-person company, multi-million dollar turnover <laughs> whilst you were still in hospital. <laughs> But how did you how did you grow it? Because it's it is quite a large business now. It's enormous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I found really good talent and treated yeah. them well and paid them handsomely. Um <clears throat> so I didn't start the business just to make money, right? Like that was yeah. not my goal. So as we found new clients, I would add more staff. And um at, at one point I had an entire outsourced team running everything. So I was really in the back end. I was literally the front end and the back end. So I was like the front end for the clients, but behind the scenes on all of the work. Mm -hmm. So if someone needed um, their social copy approved, or if someone needed a new blog written, that all could get done without my engagement. And so that's the best thing I ever did was find experts hire them and then pay them well. So they were loyal and trust um, them to do their job as well. I was just going to say, and I, <clears throat> I am, am empowered them to do their job. And I, tr I had total trust and faith in them. So I really relied heavily on my team. Mm. It's probably almost, <clears throat> I don't know what you were like when you're working in the corporate sector, but it's probably almost a blessing in some regards that you had to be so hands-off at the start because you implemented that mentality and process within this new business and fostered yes. that culture before yeah. you could sort of step in and be more hands-on. So it was already in yeah. place and you went, well, I don't have to be a hundred hours a week in this business if I don't need to be. Exactly. And ironically, that was a really big transition for me because even though I physically couldn't do those types of work weeks anymore, mentally, that's, that's the mindset I had was mm. like, in order to be successful, you have to work 80, 90 hours a week. You have to give it your everything. And Unfortunately, I had this body overrun me that was like, your everything is an hour today, sweetheart. <laughs> so it was tough. Do you think in some regards your body, your illnesses and your body made you reassess what was important in regards to that work-life balance? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're working 100 hours a week now, but did it re- I'm not. It, without question, yeah. it absolutely had me reprioritize. My number one priority is my family and my marriage, my relationships. Yeah. Um, even in business with my team and my clients, the relationships are the most important thing for me as opposed to like the transactions. Um, so <clears throat> a good example is I had, we do an internship program every summer and uh, we had one intern that was fantastic and one of our clients wanted to hire her. And selfishly, I would like to keep her, right? But the best thing for her career and for her were to go to work for them. So, or was to go to work for them. So a lot of it is identifying things like that and really building those relationships 
that stand the test of time, whether that's a client or friends or family. Um, I think the biggest struggle for me was I had always been someone that was very reliable. And when you're sick, you become unreliable with mm. the diseases I have. You become mm. unreliable because you may have a meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning, but it may be a morning where you're sick all morning long and you're doubled over in pain and you literally can't take the meeting. And so um, I got really good at either my team members taking those meetings or me being very open with our clients and saying, listen, I'm just, I'm sick today. I'm going to have to push it to later or I'm going to have to push it tomorrow. Um, and because I had built those relationships, because relationships are key to me, I didn't ever have a problem. The only thing people would ever say back is feel better, talk tomorrow. I bet so you have a really high retention rate of your clients as well. Yes. Yeah. Very high. And most of our business comes through word of mouth. We Which don't is, do a lot of marketing. And that says a lot, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. And, and you have that, you know, when someone is referring your business, you have an innate sense of credibility with that person before you ever even get on the phone with them. Well, then by having that, it also means that you can pitch at a higher level in terms of fee. Because Absolutely. You've, yeah. Unless, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think next to prioritizing relationships, obviously prioritizing my health is the most important. I am a big believer in meditation. I meditate once to twice a day and then I do yoga. And on days that I feel better, I do a second exercise. And then I walk a lot. You'll never see somebody so grateful to walk as me. Once you've not been able to do it or been in a wheelchair, your ability to do it, um, I just let, I'll walk everywhere. I walked for like three hours one weekend in Nashville because I was like, oh, sure, we can keep walking. <laughs> it how, was a little crazy. It was a little too much. But <laughs> How are your flare-ups now? Are you still having issues and flare-ups and the pain? So the Whipple didn't quote unquote take for me. It didn't solve anything. Um, so in November of 2019, November 14th of 2019, I had what's referred to as TPAIT, a total pancreatectomy auto islet transplant. Oh my goodness. So they so removed much. the remainder of my pancreas, harvested the islet cells that your pancreas makes, put them in a machine, and then transplanted them into a pocket in my liver. And that's what created me a type 3C insulin-dependent diabetic. Because you had you cannot live without a pancreas. Because I have no pancreas. Why did yeah. they not take the full pancreas in the first place? Were they avoiding you know, that? I actually asked, why, yeah. why, did, why did I have to go through two of these surgeries? Because yeah. both surgeries were between 10 and 15 hours long. I mean, oh they were goodness. intense. Yeah. So um, apparently anytime they can try and save part of the organ, they do. And in my case, I have a birth defect called pancreatic divism. Of course you do. Which affects your bile ducts. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, yeah, so they thought they thought the Whipple will fix this. You know, right. we'll, re-pipe the, we'll remove the bile duct, we'll repipe her, and she'll be able to keep part of her pancreas so she won't be diabetic. Well, like I said, it just didn't take. I still had just as much pain and nausea and vomiting and um <clears throat> they tried stents I, 16 times we tried stents i mean it was just i was at one point i was like this is not working <laughs> um yeah they've tried i've had 27 procedures and surgeries in the last five years so or six years so we've really gone through the gamut of them but the tpait and the whipple were the two big like you know 10 15 hour surgeries five six surgical teams um and so now 
that I've had the TPIIT about a year and a half ago, um, I function what I would say is the best I can. Um, I have very minimal pain. I'm not on any narcotics. I have what are called pain attacks, like these Whipple attacks. It's very intense, excruciating pain, but it doesn't last more than 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. So I'm not a big, I, I don't like being on narcotics at all. I get off them as soon as I can when I come out of a surgery. And so I don't dismay anyone else that needs them because I understand how bad pain can be. But for me, if it's only gonna be 15 or 20 minutes, I'd rather tough it out than be high on a pain nor pain med yeah. all day long. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I deal a lot with is nausea and vomiting. Um, that's probably the more persistent, consistent and challenging symptom. I have five nausea medications I take um, every day. And then I have one that I take when I can't stop vomiting. Um, and, and that's still a very active situation for me. I mean, I, I think it's been two days since I threw up last, but prior to that, I had thrown up every day, like four or five times a day for about a three-week period. Wow. Um, so it is still consistent um, and still something we're fighting. And, and they don't know why I'm still having this. They think it's the gastroparesis, but they don't definitely know. So it's something that you just learn to live with, believe it or not. Have you tried um, more natural remedies? Like, have I, I know marijuana is legal in the, in the States. It's not in Australia. Have you tried that? Yeah. So funny enough, that's what the one specialist asked me to do is the FDA approved version of marijuana, which is called Marinol or Dronabinol. And they tried that with me. Wait, it's not previously. just normal. It's not just normal pot. No, no. I There's an there was... actual FDA approved medication called Marinol or Dronabinol that is marijuana, but it comes in a little pill. It's like a little tiny capsule. Right. Um, and so we tried that and it caused grand mal seizures for six months until we figured out it was that. I was having grand mal seizures for six months. Oh my goodness. And it was actually my husband who said, who traced back to the day they started and said, that's exactly when you started that medication. So we took me off of it. And within a week, all the seizures were gone. If you smoked, like if you ingested another way, if like if you, I know gummies are illegal over there. And if you smoked yeah. actual the actual plant, would that be yeah. better? You know, I don't know. And I've had, I, my doctors have been like, you need to try it. I'm so afraid to yeah. try it because of the situation that yeah. I had. Um, I just won't do it. I mean, two of my specialists are like, you absolutely need to do it. I'm like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. You were not the one experiencing those seizures. It is not happening. Yeah. And then I will tell you, I tried um, a, I tried St. John's wort for yeah. just um, like, you know, calming effect. But you've got thyroid issues though. Oh, well, thank you. So you know something I don't know or didn't know because- <laughs> It I've got thyroid issues, that's how I know. <laughs> uh, it created this comatose experience where, like, the only thing I could do was blink my eyes. My whole body was, like, dead. Really? And that's... Yeah, I ended wow. up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. It was really bad. They're like, yeah, you can't take St. John's wort. And my husband was like, why did you start taking something without talking to the doctor? And I was like, I mean, I just thought it was a vitamin. A, a, like, a herbal thing. I didn't know I had that. I know that it can counteract some medications. I believe it. Does, and I'm not a doctor, get medical professional. This is a disclaimer. Um, go get yeah. a, a medical opinion. Um, but I do believe it counteracts uh, the pill and it does counteract thyroid medication. 
yeah i believe in my well, non-medical opinion yeah it evidently interacted with like two or three of the medicines i was yeah, on yeah that's crazy and yeah i ended up literally my whole body was just stiff like just stuck and the only thing i could do was blink my eyes that would be terrifying i was terrified my poor husband was terrified i mean and try being in a hospital you can't press a nurse button because you can't move <laughs> And this was like during COVID. So like he wasn't allowed in there with me. Oh my goodness. So I'm just in this like tiny supply closet of a hospital room and I can't get any help. That, you know, and they're coming terrifying. in going blink, blink twice for yes and once for no. Yes. Oh yeah. my goodness. I yeah. want to take you back to when you decided to create the company. Yeah. Initially, you, I'm assuming that you would have been doing the work yourself. Um, and then, okay. How did, how did you grow it from, and I'm asking this for people that want to, want to start their own. And I know that people yeah. do a lot of outsourcing for their social media. So how did you decide mm-hmm. to, to grow it? And how did you start that growth process? So once I started feeling a little bit better, um, I was very gung ho on making the business more effective, bigger, wider, broader yeah. audience. Um, but we did a couple, or I did a couple of things to grow it. One, I solidified our niche down to just social media services. Okay. So we were no longer the end all be all for everybody. Yep. Two, we really got clear on who our client was. So we service PE and VC backed firms and midsize firms. So yes, we have a couple of like fortune 100 companies that are household names, but we don't go after them. And, and we definitely don't work with baby businesses, like, yeah. you know, where they don't have any money and they need to bootstrap everything. Um, and so we identified our niche, zoned in on social media services and strategy. Then we zoned in on our clients. And then we do a lot of our own social media. So we do a lot of social media marketing for our own business for decaf. Uh, we also have a blog that I write. And then um, LinkedIn is another big area for mm. uh, referral business for us. <clears throat> so I did a LinkedIn campaign to other agencies because a lot of agencies like us refer business out. Like anytime a client comes to us, it's rarely do they just need social media. They always need a website or a landing page or a MailChimp template or SEO. So I started making strategic partnerships with other agencies where they would refer their social media business to us and we would refer business back to them for their expertise. And that has really been what has scaled the business is the strategic relationships and strategic partnerships. I mean, we have one client, one agency partner that probably has sent us over half of our book of business. Wow. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in rewarding people. So like client appreciation day in May, I send out like crazy nice gifts to everyone we work with, like, which is mostly other agencies. During the holidays, I send them, but I slowly take information that I learn in meetings and send customized gifts. So I don't send out like a basket of chocolates or like one of our agency partners has, uh, a, he's vegetarian, his wife is vegan and his kids are kind of, I don't know. Um, so I sent them two weeks of vegan meals. Um, Someone, another agency partner just lost her father. So I sent her a basket with like um, a blanket, a picture frame to put him in, a book about coping with grief and loss, and a couple of little sweeties for her. Um, so I try to find things that are 
a little more personal and mm. memorable. Mm. Um, for one of my clients, I sent the Be Kind box by Ellen, the spring box. I sent that to her. And then I send a lot of handwritten notes to partners. It's like the old fashioned way <laughs> to get in someone's inbox. Um, I, I keep, I actually have a whole stack of like little customized thank you notes on my desk. And um, so I send at least two a week out. So that's interesting. And I think that's important because when you work with as an employee, when you're working with larger people, often they have a set standard um, corporate gifts that you've that are mm-hmm. all got their logo on it, and you've just got to that's that's it. That's all you're allowed to really send out. You can't you don't have the budget yeah. to go and buy something else. Um, and so that's interesting that you you take that, and it means that then it shows that you're listening to them, that you care. It's that extra yeah. step. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And I you've done that I since day dot. Yeah, since day one, we've done that. Or I've done it since day one, absolutely. I also do little tiny things like um, we have a prospective new client that um, for athlete marketing, for professional athletes and college athletes Mm -hmm. doing their social media. And I know someone in my network from years and years ago that is really an expert in influencer marketing. So I asked him if I could tap like 20 minutes on his calendar just to tap into his brain and you know, knowledge about that. And he was totally open to it. So I sent him like a $15 Starbucks gift card because he loves coffee. Like I, I try to treat people the way I want them to treat our business and our employees Mm -hmm. because, you know, not everyone is going to say, yeah, I'll give you 20 minutes of my time. And it's not like he needed a $15 gift card, but it was just something nice to say. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you want to take the business now? I mean, you've got it to a stage where it's running fairly autonomously. You've mentioned that you're yeah. front, front and back end, um, yeah. enabling you to spend some more time with Eric and your fur baby. Where do you want to take it now? Because you're being um, showcased in a lot of very prestigious yeah. publications. So I'm very honoured that you've come on my little podcast. <laughs> oh, I love it. Absolutely. You know, um, Ironically, I had I had a call last week with someone that wants to acquire the firm. So this is a question I I'm I have rolling around in my brain regularly right now is kind mm. of what is the next step? Um, we have a couple of clients committed for next year to start in 2022 in January that will really elevate us to a global agency. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's going to be the next route we take is making ourselves a global agency. Um, and really expanding into Asia and Europe and South America. Um, you know, I had, I've coached people for almost 20 years, and I think 19 years, and I've coached 6,500 people in five different continents. So, um, and when I was in corporate America, I had global roles. So global is not new to me. It's new to decaf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I have the right team to do that. The other thing is uh, there is a company in the UK that does audience intelligence reporting. And so I think we're going to do a partnership with them to increase our audience intelligence capabilities. So what does that mean when you're talking about audience intelligence capabilities? Is that algorithm targeted marketing? You know, it's, um, it's the 
kind of the base of it is taking who your audience is, analyzing them all the way down, not just gender and age and income, but all the way down to like, do they like motor sports? What kind of music do they listen to? What do they do for fun? Do they eat out? Do they use credit cards? Really diving deep into your audience and then layering on the audience of two or three competitors to see where there are overlaps and to find where the gaps are. And then we dive into doing Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn ads for them that take advantage of all that audience intelligence and say, okay, we know who to target. We also know what kind of things they like. So we know what pages to like and follow, what pages to share content from, and what ads to promote. And then we have a library that shows us all the ads of their competitors too. How so we you, know what's working and what's not. How are you getting that information on their target audience and then their competitors' target audience? There's, It's the company out of the UK. It's their proprietary software that right. scrapes social and does it. Right. Um, I'd love to tell you how it works, but I'm not that technical. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we Scraping pay them to data, do it. I got it. <laughs> data scraping. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Okay, so big big data there there in too. So mm-hmm. it sounds big data. it sounds like you've sort of almost answered the own your own question in regards to I've had someone approach me to sell a business, but next year we're going to take it global. So it sounds like you've already answered it yourself. Yeah, um, I don't. You know, I because of my unique health condition, I'm not someone that can go to work for somebody else and show yeah. up eight to five and drive into an office and all that malarkey. Um, yeah. The advantages are it'd be nice to have some peers where I can toss ideas around in that, but I get that from other agencies that I work with. So that need is kind of met. So I think my feedback to them is like, if there are enough commas and enough zeros behind that dollar (laughs) sign, sure, I'll I'll look at it. But um, right now we have a pretty strong growth trajectory going into next year. Mm. So it would have to be a really compelling offer. Um, and, And of course... I'm only in my late forties. I mean, what am I going to do? Like, that was going to be my agency. next question. If you sold it, what would you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, their pitch is to to buy the agency and then have um, have me come on as a strategist as needed. So more like a consultant. Uh, so I I'd, I'd be open to that. But again, if it was not like you're an employee, you're running this team, you're doing this. If it was just to pop in and out of special projects. But if they're not following the direction and the strategy in which you would like, you strike me as someone that would find that extremely frustrating that then that... I would. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely would. This group in particular is is definitely in the same line of where we're going. I don't think they'll go global as fast as we would, but um, I do think they would follow the same line of business kind of focus. Um, they're looking at acquiring two other companies and making all of us into one company. So that's a, a bigger service provider. Mm. Um, and I know the other two companies and I know those two companies owners and we're all very similar. We work for ourselves. We like the autonomy, you know, one week, uh, in fact, all three of us meet on a weekly basis. And one week I might be in Nashville and Matt might be in Houston. And Beth might be in California. <laughs> you know, we just know we're all, we're kind of all movers and shakers. Yeah. And so we've had this kind of trio discussion around what does an acquisition look like? And since money is not the end all be all, 
what do our roles really look like? Because the, this company that wants to acquire us isn't just trying to acquire our book of business. They're trying to acquire us individually <laughs> and our yeah. skill sets. Yeah. So, um, so at least I feel like I'm not in it alone. You know, they're trying to acquire a couple other companies. Um, but, but in terms of where they would take the business, I, I'm really focused on that being a component of the acquisition because I also have a team and I want them to be taken mm. care of and I want their careers to be fruitful and fulfilling and lucrative. If the three of you catch up so regularly, is there anything to stop you guys just forming your own, if that's the direction that you're considering, is there anything to stop you guys just forming your own business and saying, see you later to this other offer? No, there's not. In fact, um, Matt, when he and I were talking about it two weeks ago, was like, I mean, there is an opportunity. <laughs> and I was like, Matt, I don't want to work for you. I love you. I don't want to work for you. He's like, no, you wouldn't be working for me. <laughs> yeah. Would why would like, you be working for him? This? Yeah. But why, why would that, why wouldn't you be working with him or why wouldn't he not be working for you? Yeah, I think what we would do, his agency is a little bigger than mine. Oh. Um, actually, I don't know if it's bigger. It's just different. Yeah. His agency is focused on predictive analytics. Um, so he, I kind of see him as the data veteran and then Beth as more general marketing and then me, obviously, as social mm. Um and so I think we could make a compelling offer. So you're right on point. That's something we're definitely talking about. Like maybe we just merge as the three of us, yeah. our three disparate agencies into one um, and redefine our service offerings. Could you then operate under the same umbrella, but still keep the operations very separate? So you're not stepping on each other's toes? I think so. Yeah. I absolutely think so. Yeah. There's, um, there is a concept that they launched to do that that was backed by some venture capitalists and um, the VCs decided to go a different direction, but the, the shell, the company name, the approach, everything is all still there. So we could just kind of pick that up and run with it. With your relationships with the three between those other companies and, and I'm going to focus on those companies because we've entered into this territory now. Yeah. You've obviously got referral because they're in different areas of the marketing. You've obviously got a referral mm -hmm. relationship with them. What yes. would be the difference between just continuing that relationship as you are and being very autonomous in your um, having your own business by nature is very autonomous. What would be the benefit with merging? Is it just so then eventually you're a bigger company, so therefore you can command more zeros on an offer that comes along in the future? Or is it just because then you're going to be splitting it three ways. Is it just easier just to grow it and be global and do your own thing? You know, I think um, it does make sense to combine because we have a more cohesive service offering to companies. Yeah. Um, and so we can, uh, we can offer more services. Therefore we can charge more, obviously. Um, the other thing is we have, we all have very lean teams Mm -hmm. And so um, I think there would be a lot of advantages to our teams working collaboratively together and launching some new products and services. Um, the one advantage to, that I see is then all the operational stuff is handled in one area, like everything from computers to uh, Back printers support, yeah. to invoicing and accounts receivable and accounts payable. You know, right now you have three companies doing that and chasing all the accounts and we can have one group do that. Yeah. Um, 
which takes a decent amount of time. And money. And money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are, your, are the staff employees or are they contractors for you? I have one W-2 and five 1099s, which are contractors. Okay. I'm so glad you explained that to me because I was like... I was going to say, as soon as I said that, I was like, she doesn't know what those are. <laughs> no That's idea. That's like expression. <laughs> okay. So most of them are employees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And most of them are contractors. contractors. Okay. All right. So that's a, that's interesting in terms of then your hiring, firing method. It's easier to mm-hmm. hire quickly, fire fast in terms of quality. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. What was the, why did you initially start, or I don't know whether or not you did, when you set up the business, a lot of people that you see out there in, in the marketplace, and my brother had a situation where he engaged somebody to assist him with his social media and he realised with the language and the sentence structures they were outsourcing it and it wasn't them and they were just mm. getting someone off Fiverr. Um, mm. Why oh did gosh. you decide, or I suppose I probably maybe even answered my own question, why did you decide to adopt the pay well get quality people rather than just initially because I'm in hospital, I just need someone to quickly do it and I need to, I'm setting it up. So I need the cheap. So um, I've never been a fan of cheap services <laughs> um, I because I really believe you get what you pay yeah. for. I mean, at the end of the day, you do get what you pay for. Yeah. Um, and we're by far not, we're definitely by far not the most expensive agency. I mean, we're based in Indianapolis, which is middle America. So you kind of have to go with the rates that an Indianapolis, you know, demands as opposed to a New York or an LA or San Francisco, mm-hmm. or even Chicago. Um, but that was a, a lesson to be frank that I learned in corporate America, that people would stay loyal if you treated them well mm. and you paid them well. Mm. And in fact, you could pay them less if you treated them well. But I'm just a firm believer that you pay people what they're worth, what their value is, not necessarily what they need. Let's say they need, we're going to use fake numbers. Let's say they need $10 an hour to make their bills every month. Mm. Well, what do they want? Let's say they want $13 an hour, then pay them the $13 an hour because they're going to be happy. Therefore, they're going to produce better results. Your clients are going to be happy. It comes back to you in spades. It never works to just meet someone's minimum line. You mentioned Doesn't that work. you the difference between treating well and paying well. Mm-hmm. If you're separating the two, how what what does treating well look like for you? Yes, yeah, so there's a couple different components. Um, one, we give days off for community service so they can be involved in their community, and those days are paid. Mm-hmm. Two, um, <clears throat> starting this year, we're going to do a week long kind of strategic planning getaway in Mexico, all expenses paid for them. Um, Three, I don't care where they work. That's a big one. So that was the case before COVID. Um, And so I'm not someone who's attaching them to their desk and, you know, Skyping them all the time to make sure they're there. As long as they get the work done, that's fine with me. Four, I regularly thank them specifically. So I don't just say, oh, thanks, great job. I literally say, thank you. Here's what you did really well. Here's why that matters. And here's the impact it's going to have on the business. So they get very clear feedback. And I think part of the other thing, treating them well, is caring about them personally. You know, I had one client that went through a miscarriage while she was working for me. And I was like, just take off the time you need. Mm. Not client, employee. I was like, take off the time you need. This is something that's more important than work. 
we will get through without you for a week or two weeks or however long you need. Um, you know, really caring about them as people and caring about their families, I think goes a long way. Sending them flowers on their birthday or little bundt cakes, whatever they like. When you go global and you're dealing with this um, data scraping business to facilitate that in the UK, are you going to be looking at workforces to facilitate your workload in different time zones to help with that global client base? Yes. So in fact, we've actually asked the the data company if they would allow us to house a couple of social media people in their office with them Mm -hmm. um, to cover Europe. And we will probably do the same thing in Asia. Mm. But right now I have one staff member that actually works Pacific Coast time hours. So she covers uh, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Pacific. And then I have three people in central time zone and then two people in the eastern time zone mm-hmm. so we cover i mean mountain time there's not enough people in mountain time they they function basically <laughs> central time um so we cover most of the u.s now and um the pacific time zone is a lot of who cover who will start covering global and then we'll base someone in the uk a couple of people in the uk when you're talking asia are you talking singapore that sort of Yes. Yeah. Singapore, Hong Kong. Yes. You are going into Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah. I won't touch on that. We'll... <laughs> Tokyo. Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so Japan and Singapore and Hong Kong. All right. Yeah. Well, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for your time. I really, <clears throat> really have enjoyed the chat. And for anybody that's listening and is dealing with health issues and then thinks I can't do it. You've yeah. just listened to a podcast where somebody has. <laughs> and you can. You absolutely can do it. If you have the commitment and the motivation, you can do anything. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. I appreciate you. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. Bye.